Very good. Let's turn to John chapter 16 this morning. And yes, we are a pro-life church. And I thank God for that. Amen. And we have a God who's a God of life. That's what the scriptures teach us. He's a God of life. And we need to cherish it. John 16. We're near the end of Jesus' discourse to his disciples after this, the um, Passover supper and in the interim now, of course, he has spoken to them in the upper room after they left the upper room on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus continues to speak to them and he tells them a lot about his father, about the Holy Spirit, and then he tells them about his love and how we are to love one another as he has loved us. And then he talks about the hatred of the world toward the believers in Jesus Christ. And because they hated him, they're going to hate us. And he talks about persecution as well. But through it all, he reminds us of the promise of the comforter that is to come. And this promise makes all the difference for every believer in Jesus Christ. It makes all the difference when we realize that coming to Christ is a life and death decision. It has been a life and death decision for many who have said yes to Jesus Christ, but it's a death and life decision for everyone too because we die to ourselves to let Christ live in us. And then we can do the things through the power of his Holy Spirit and through the wisdom of his word to accomplish everything the Lord wants us to accomplish in this life until Jesus comes. And I can assure you he's coming soon because he said, I'm coming again. And he said, keep looking up as your redemption draws near. What we want to deal with today is the statement that he's already mentioned before, but now we want to focus more on the impact of this statement at this point where he has already spoken to his disciples about that hatred and that persecution. And he says to them in verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Now that's what we're going to study today. Let's read verse 16 to close out what he says. A little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Father, we pray that you would bless us now with the anointing and blessing of your spirit, that we might come to a greater understanding of your word today as it applies not only to our lives, but to those around us here today, and as it applies to the coming of Jesus Christ again. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You know, the more I read and reread this passage, especially verse 12, I uh, had one thought, and, and the one thought that, I, that came to mind during that time of reading this was, was a line from a 1992 movie, which, which by the way, I, I haven't seen, but it's, it's a line that most people even know if they haven't seen the movie, and in fact, most of you could say the line when I prompt you with a statement that comes right before that line. And uh, it happens to be one person who, 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 who makes a grand statement, a big, a big statement, like, I, I want the truth. You all know what the response is? Wow. Yeah. You can't handle the truth. I don't want to go into the characters. It's from a movie called A Few Good Men. And I mention this because I'm not, I'm not trying to lessen or cheapen the impact of what Jesus was pointing out to them, but was the Lord saying to his disciples, I have yet many things to say to you, but right now you can't handle these truths. Was that what the Lord saying to his, his disciples? And you think about it. Think about what he said. Literally, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. So far, Jesus had spoken to them of the Holy Spirit's work of reminding and reproving. So often, Jesus would tell his disciples, listen, when you get into situations, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of things that you need to say. And sometimes we think they're in the back of our minds, and sometimes we don't think we have them there at all. And yet God can bring them to our attention. There is that Spirit's work of reproving, as we saw last time, that of bringing conviction uh, to our lives. But pertaining to the hatred and the persecution that would be coming their way for following Christ, Jesus said this to them in John 15, verses 26 and 27, when he said, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and you shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So, there is, within the context of everything that Jesus says to his disciples, this understanding of the coming of the spirit of truth, the comforter. Uh, take, for example, in uh, verse 4 of chapter 16, but th these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember, notice, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I say not unto you at the beginning, because I was, I was with you. And then, of course, concerning the latter, which means, of course, the, uh, the very issue of... of uh, of, of that uh, persecution, he said uh, in verse 8, and when he has come, or I should say of, of the reproving, when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. But even before that, there was a sense in which the Lord had told him everything. That he did tell him everything, because that's what Jesus said. Consider this statement in John 15, verse 15, when he says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, and here's the, the, section, the passage I want you to see. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. So in, in one sense, he has told them everything. Or at least everything that he knew they needed to know. Because one thing is for sure. The Lord is always careful to give his followers and his disciples the right amount of truth at the perfect time. And the fact of the matter is, God is not out to try to keep any truth from us. We're not dealing with secret societies here. The church is not a secret society. Some have made certain types of churches secret societies, but not the body of Christ. 
No, in fact, when you think about it, you just have to look at the book of Revelation that says the revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Well, that's from Genesis to Revelation. It is revealing the Savior of the world. It is revealing the Messiah of Israel. It is revealing our Lord, our God, our King, our Master. So the Lord is always careful to give his followers and disciples the right amount of truth at the perfect time. And by the way, that is what a master teacher does. A master teacher gives the right amount of truth at the perfect time. Today, the Holy Spirit is our master teacher. And he continues in that very same principal manner as Jesus did. He teaches us all the truths that we need to know, when we need them, and when we're ready to receive them. And when you make a comparison of two passages, John 14, verse 26, with John 16, verse 13, and I'll read them to you in just a, a second, you are able to observe, when you look at these things, you are able to observe the wonderful way that the Lord prepared for the Gospels and the Epistles, and then he prepared them for us. Notice what he says in John 14, verse 26. He says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Aren't you thankful that God has given us his word that we can take with us and we have it with us always to read it, to keep reinforcing the things that we've learned? And the fact of the matter is, we can read this for 50 years and learn something new on the 51st year that we begin reading it again. That's the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word together. So this just encourages our hearts to see how God has prepared the Gospels and the Epistles for our good. But then consider verse, six, uh, verse 13 of chapter 16 of our text here, our next verse in our, in, in our passage. Where Jesus said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the Spirit would remind the disciples, who would later, of course, be known more as apostles, but as disciples, they were the learners. That's what a disciple is, one who learns from a master. He is one who is a follower and a learner. So the, 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 the Spirit would remind the disciples of what Jesus had taught them, <clears throat> which would bring about the Gospels, by the way. And think about those who wrote it, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, of course, was one of the disciples and apostles. Mark was, was actually a disciple of Peter, and, and what we give is the perspective of Peter in the Gospel of Mark. And then, of course, there's Luke, who was really a disciple of, of the Apostle Paul, or really a, a, a a co-worker with, with, with Paul for a time, and yet received a lot of wisdom through the, the many who were with Jesus. And then, of course, there was John. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So that would bring about then the Gospels from, from their experiences with Jesus. But then he would guide them into all truth. Now, the word guide here is very important. We'll get to that in a minute. In a minute. But he would then guide them into all truth, resulting in what we know today as the letters or the epistles. In fact, the phrase, he will show you things to come, 
there in verse 13 is, is referring to prophetic scriptures, spe uh, specifically the book of Revelation, which John wrote, but also many of the things that are recorded in the writings of John, uh, his epistles, Peter's second letter, uh, Jude's letter, and Paul, of course, to the church concerning the last days, mostly Thessalonians and, and Timothy. So with that in mind, I want us to go back to the text, verse 13. So, so now the, the Lord is speaking to his disciples of the Holy Spirit's work or ministry of not just re reminding us and reproving us, but also of revealing or revelation. The Holy Spirit's work is one of revealing and of giving revelation. So in, so in effect, the Lord is revealing two kinds of truth that they and we will need to know. Two kinds of truth. The first kind of truth is what I call practical, applicable truth. Practical, applicable truth. The kind that we find directed to the church, to the body of Christ, to the believer, to the follower of Jesus. How we are to live as members of the body of Christ. How we are to live as we await the return of Jesus Christ. How we are to treat one another as we wait for the Lord's return. Now, I do have to say that the Lord did mention the coming of, his, uh, of, of the church to his disciples previously to them, but, but did not give them much information about it. This is an important key to understanding what this section is for us today. He mentioned the church, but he doesn't say a whole lot about it. When uh, Jesus was with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, and there he takes them to this place which is this massive rock. And out of the rock comes really the, the, the it's the primary source of the river uh, Jordan. But there is where Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? And of course names were popping up, you know, this and that. And then he asked them the question, but who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it was upon that particular confession that Jesus would go on to say certain things about Peter, you know, because of that confession that he made. But this is, this is where I want to pick up on that, that part, and that's verse 18 of Matthew 16. Because what he says to them here is, first of all, he gives them a name. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, which means little stone. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, Petra, which is a big stone, using that big rock in the background as an illustration. Thou art Peter, little stone, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. The rock which was the rock of Peter's confession, the rock of Peter's faith in Christ. And he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so he talks then about this assembly, this congregation, as it were. You'll build my church, my church, very important. And then in Matthew 18, verse 17, he gives a little bit of an indication of a church in the sense of how you deal with uh, error or how you deal with uh, those that may offend you and how, how, how do you go about trying to bring correction in all of that situation and in Matthew 18 verse 17 it says and if he shall neglect to hear them being that person that might have, might have uh, uh, offended you he says tell it unto the church tell it unto the assembly 
Uh, but if he ne neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a, and a publican. And in this particular case, uh, there was uh, a mention of the church uh, by Jesus, but uh, it was also probably a thought in their own minds because that would be very similar to a, a group meeting in a synagogue. Uh, so th that's an assembly as well. So in their minds, that's probably what they thought. But nonetheless, he was talking about the church, that eventually in his church, these things would be taken care of in that particular manner. So now before going to the cross, getting back to their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, before going to the cross, Jesus makes it really clear that they would not be able to bear those truths at that time. Now there's one obvious reason why they weren't going to bear the truths at that time, because Jesus was going to the cross in just a few hours. And anything that he would tell them now would just be lost in this whole issue of what's going on with his arrest, uh, with his uh, 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 terrible trial, the, the beatings and everything else leading up to the cross. Everything would be forgotten. But there was also another thing. There was also another thing about the level of their understanding. The Greek word for bear here that uh, Jesus uses there in verse 12, but you cannot bear them now, is the word bastazo, and it's used twice of Jesus. It's used by Jesus once, and it's used uh, again about Jesus. Uh, Luke 11, verse 46, I'll, I'll give you the, the text, and then we'll see what it means here. Uh, but I think it's obvious what it means. Luke 11, 46, he said... <clears throat> speaking to the scribes particularly, woe unto you also, you lawyers, for you laid men, which means you load down men with burdens grievous to be born. And the word there, bastazo, is used in a, a different form, but it's there in that word born. Uh, and you yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. So he's, uh, he's reproving, actually. He's admonishing you know, the scribes for putting loads upon people's backs <clears throat> and yet not touching the burdens themselves. When it's used of Jesus, it talks about another load. It's John 19, verse 17. When speaking of Jesus, it says, and he bearing his cross, bastazo, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. That word doesn't mean to bear. In other words, that word doesn't mean to bear in the sense of enduring or of tolerating. It has to do with carrying something. The picture is of a weight laid upon a person who is unable to carry it. Obviously, the teaching that was withheld by Jesus was more than they, that they would be able to bear, both at that particular stage of their spiritual development but also because of how close he was to the cross. So it's been said then, and I think that you probably heard this, but it's been said that the Lord never lays on us more than we are able to bear. And that is certainly true when it pertains to our various levels of spiritual growth. But then I want you to consider where that particular thought comes from. It usually comes from something that Paul wrote later in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where Paul said, There hath no temptation taken you, 
but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Listen to what he says. God is faithful who will not suffer you or permit you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape. That you may be able to bear it. Now that word bear is not the same word, bastazzo, as in our text. This word is hupofero, which means to endure. It means to endure. So I find it interesting that when we consider that, uh, you know, that this saying that the Lord never lays on us more than we're able to bear uh, does in fact fit in, in this particular context in that the Lord is concerned that his disciples both are able to carry and to endure what they have learned. So from that particular standpoint, this is what Christ's concern was for them, that they would be able to carry this burden or carry this load and also endure it, knowing that there's always a way of escape. For us, I think it, it, it really comes down to the fact that we trust in Jesus carrying us. Just as Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, constantly reminds us that Jesus says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Laden is tied into that word of putting a load upon people. You who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is it light? Because he carries us. Amen? Jesus carries us. So don't think that you have to carry all the burdens yourself. Work your way into heaven. You don't work your way. We've been talking about that last week as well. You know, the weights, you know, of good over evil or good over bad or, you know, good things over the sin of our lives. If our good outweighs the bad, no, it doesn't work that way. We have to come to Jesus. So it would be the spirit of truth then. On the day of Pentecost, I would break through that barrier that separated the disciples from that truth that they so much needed. The truth that they wouldn't be able to bear, they would be able to bear because of the Holy Spirit as Jesus had already prepared them for that day. When the spirit of truth comes, when the comforter comes, he will show you all things. So now, turn to Acts chapter 1, if you will. So we're moving a little bit ahead here. But it is to remind us of that promise that Jesus had made to them and how he fulfills it. So there Jesus is among his disciples, and it says, being assembled together, verse 4, being assembled together with them, commanding them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which were actually Jesus' words to them. Wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. So it came directly from Jesus for them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? The coming of the Comforter. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? 
And again, you know, there's this understanding, you know, that here's Jesus. Now he's risen from the dead. And he shows his power of rising from the dead. Even greater than when he, when he uh, uh, spoke Lazarus uh, from the dead. Now he has died and risen again. So that, okay, now it, it must be now that we see this kingdom that will overtake the Romans and will get reestablished here together with him. And they say, Will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons. Now, let me say what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that we aren't supposed to consider the end times because that's what Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13 are all about. He wants us to know. But here in this particular case, he says, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Let him do what he's going to do at the end times. I've already talked to you about what's going to happen in the end times, so it is important, but it's, this, this is more important right now. You see, again, he always gives us the bright truth, the perfect truth at the perfect time. So what he says then is this, but you shall receive power. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Dunamis power. It's not a power that comes from flesh. It is not a power that comes from intellect. It is a power that can only come from God himself. And he says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You shall be witnesses. You shall be my light. You shall be my testimonies to this world. We are Jesus testimony to the world. And we can only be that as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And don't forget what Paul would later add when he speaks about the gifts of the Spirit to the church in Corinth. And he says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Folks, there are not a whole lot of bodies. I mean, you know, nowadays, I mean, we can kind of, uh, you know, look at all of these various and different uh, subdivisions in the church, you know, well, they, we have these folks over here who don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they think it's kind of crazy, and these other ones that are crazy because they really believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they do crazy things that some people over this side say about them over here, and then, and so, well, we're kind of in the middle over here, and, and so on and so forth, and yet the scripture tells us there's only one body and, on, and one spirit. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. What's the body? The church. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. That's it. And it is in this spirit that we receive not only the power, but we receive the wisdom and the understanding of what God has said to us through his son for us to know. And so Jesus continued his discourse to his disciples about the spirit of truth by speaking of a process of revelation or a process of revealing. And that is in the first part of verse 13. And we're going to spend a little bit more time on 13, but it'll all come together here in just a moment. Verse 13 says, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. That's all we're going to look at right here for just a moment. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, the Greek word for guide, as I said earlier, this is an important word. The Greek word for guide is the word hodegeo, which simply means to lead the way. 
It means to lead the way. The suggestion made by that word is that of moving forward. How many of you like to move forward in life? I mean, we like to progress. You know, it was good that we were in first grade, but you know what? Second grade's coming. And you don't want to go back to kindergarten or you don't want to stay in first. You want to move on to second. And then you finish second, you go on to third. You don't want to move, keep moving. Man. Keep moving forward. You, all, you understand that, right? You start as a beginner in something, then you go on into the intermediate, and then you go into an advanced thing, you know, whether it's in sports or, or music or whatever else. The point of the matter is we're moving forward. This is what this word guide means. To lead the way moving forward such as a process. Well, the, the, the Christian faith is a process. Every day we become more and more like Jesus. How? Because we spend time in prayer, more time in studying the word, more time in fellowship with the believers, more time in telling people about Jesus, and, and, and we progress in life, moving forward. So in a sense, that also leads us to understanding that moving forward and being led in the way is part of our pilgrimage because it is connected to a pilgrimage, this word. And I say that because of this dilemma of one Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts chapter eight, that is traveling on a road far from Jerusalem at least, or not that close to Jerusalem, but he's you know, traveling in, in, in some kind of a thing, you know, a chariot and what, whatnot, and he's, but he's in there, somebody's driving and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, especially Isaiah 53, and he just doesn't understand what, what, what's on this, this page. At the very same time, God, the, the, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to Philip, the apostle, and he tells Philip to go where this Ethiopian eunuch is, and boom, he takes him there. I mean, really, he just takes him there. It's like, boom, why? Because God can do that. He's supernatural. He's powerful. He can do that. They, I mean, you know, because they don't have mass transit over there. I mean, it's just God has to move them when he wants to move them. Got him there running. All of a sudden, he's over there running next to this chariot. And, 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 and talking to this guy, he says, hey, you know, I, I, do you understand? Uh, you know, I'm trying to read this scroll on Isaiah. I don't understand it. He says in verse 31 of chapter 8, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. He said, quit running next to me and come on in. Get some rest. And tell me what this is saying. Just, just dumped on verse 35 because I could go on with the drama. 35, he says, then Philip opened his mouth. Now, under the leading direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit... He opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, Isaiah 53, and preached unto him Jesus. He preached unto him Jesus. The Spirit led Philip to the way, to the way where the eunuch was. He led him in the way by leading him into giving the truth of that passage that he might lead the Ethiopian eunuch to the only way who is Jesus Christ. That's the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in guiding us. Now, he may not take you from here to, uh, you know, to L.A. in, in a second, uh, but, you know, we have other ways to do that in a second, you know. Phone call or, you know, 
FaceTime or whatever, you know, to tell people about Jesus. I mean, if God does it, if God leads you, if, if the Holy Spirit leads you, do it, do it, you know. We have those means in this particular way. But that same word, hodegeo, is used of the innumerable multitudes saved after the rapture of the church and martyred by the Antichrist. Something we read in Revelation chapter 7, verses 15 through 17, where it says, There of them, therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and notice, and shall lead them, guide their way unto living fountains of waters, and, guide, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So this, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in guiding us in the way that we should go, guiding us in the word of God, guiding us in the wisdom of God through the word of God. And you know, it's so important for us to remember, you can go back to John chapter 4, where Jesus is talking to a woman at the well, and he tells her that those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. But we can never separate the spirit of God from the truth of God. And I, and I mentioned this to somebody last night, you know, that I, I, I remember a statement I learned years and years ago. Uh, the word without the spirit is dead. The spirit without the word is dangerous. So we need, we need to have the spirit and the word together always. And so with each step that we take, as followers and disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is unfolding those practical, applicable truths that began as incarnate truth, in other words, incarnate in Jesus, because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. And then the Spirit has treasured them in the written truths of the Word of God. That's why we have the word of God today. From Jesus who was the incarnate truth to the word of God that we have. Written truths that we can always read and always follow and always grow from. That's the principle of, of uh, or I should say that's the process of, of revelation. But there's a principle of revelation that we need to come to. And that's in the middle of verse 13 of John 16. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. This is, again, the principle of revelation. In other words, the Holy Spirit follows the same principle of divine revelation as the one that governed the Lord Jesus Christ. The very same thing that we read back in John chapter 8, verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard of him. So that's, that's the principle of divine revelation is that he speaks only what the Father has given him. And what does the Holy Spirit speak? The very same thing that the Father and the Son give to the Holy Spirit. We've already read that particular verse, especially there in verse 13. So it's good to know then that the teaching of the Son of God and of the Holy Spirit comes from the same infallible, dependable, and reliable source of truth, who is the God who created all things. The Spirit of truth would have no message beyond what was already contained in the Word made flesh, the Logos, that's Jesus. He would make it clear, he would make it obvious in the inspired Word of God. So I tell you, we should never take for granted the fact that we have the entire Word of God. 
and that we have it every day, and that we can learn from it every day and grow from it every day and read it and study it and pray over it and pray with it, and that through it we can find that word for the day that God wants us to have, that we might serve him and continue to grow in his grace and knowledge. And then secondly, this, there, is, uh, there is prophetic anticipated truth. The first was practical, applicable truth from the word of God, both gospels as epistles, Old Testament, New Testament, practical, applicable word of God for us in the church, in the body of Christ. Secondly, there's prophetic anticipated truth. <clears throat> the kind of truth that we have in the prophetic sections of the New Testament and not to leave out the Old Testament as well. That's the last ver part of verse 13 and he will show you things to come. It is quite significant that when you read verses 13 through 15 that one thing sticks out in holy emphasis and I emphasize holy emphasis. It is one thing that sticks out in these three verses. You read the end of verse 13, it says, He will show you. In other words, He will declare to you things to come. You look at the end of verse 14, it says, Well, verse 14 says, He shall glorify me, for He shall receive of mine. In other words, He takes what I've given and shall show it or declare it unto you. He shows it, declares it. And then verse 15, He says it one more time. Mention something three times. I think God's serious about this. I think Jesus is serious about this. He says, all things that the Father hath are mine, and therefore said I that he shall take of mine, in other words, what I give him, he shall take of mine and shall show it or declare it unto you. So the truths concerning things to come can be found in several places in the New Testament, as I've already mentioned. Jesus teaching through the parables, his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13, Paul's letters to the Thessalonians and to Timothy, in, in Peter's second epistle, in the little book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation, and of course, the book of Revelation itself. But it is the Spirit's revelation. It is the Spirit's revelation that embraces the things of Christ. It is the Spirit's revelation that embraces the things of Christ, as in verse 14. Look at verse 14. He shall glorify me. He shall glorify me me. The Spirit does not glorify Himself. He glorifies the Son. Not long after this statement, and here's the impact of all of this, not long after this statement, Jesus would have men spit in His face. He would be blindfolded, and He would be punched mercilessly. These same men would clothe him in purple mockingly and crown him with thorns to mock him even more. And Jesus would be scourged. He would be crucified. And then he would die. And still, the Holy Spirit would reveal that glory at his resurrection, after his resurrection, and especially 
after his ascension, and in many a radiant New Testament passage, the Holy Spirit glorifies our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. But especially in the book of Revelation. Revelation 1 verse 1 says, the revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. The revelation, the revealing. It is the revealing of the glory of Christ in his return. You you read the rest of chapter 1 and you see this picture of Jesus toward the end, which, which is a totally different kind of vision that we see of Jesus in the Gospels. The only time we get close to that vision would be when we see Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. But before we close, I want the Holy Spirit to give us a good, good look at Jesus as he prepares to come back. So turn to Revelation 19 and let me read this to you. And and by the way, it's not the last thing I'm going to say. I I forgot. There's one more scripture after that. But I promise there's only one more scripture. Revelation 19, verse 11. Excuse me. And I saw heaven opened, John says. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him out upon white horses clothed in fine linen white, and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, or the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. To come to that place in the book of Revelation to see that Christ in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit has gone from glory to glory to glory to glory to this grand picture should encourage our hearts to keep following until he comes. So lastly, all that the Father was All that the Father was had been interpreted by the Son. Just read the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1. All that the Father was had been interpreted by the Son. All that the Son was would be interpreted by the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus taught his disciples to think great thoughts about the Father. The Holy Spirit is here to teach us great thoughts and great things about the Son. And 
And I end this with a warning. And if anything calling itself Christian teaching makes its approach to us and does not exalt and glorify Christ, it is not of the Holy Spirit. And so I end with Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, where Paul says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Now you'd think he'd say something in between verses 8 and 9 to kind of give a little room from saying the two things, but he says them immediately. He says, I, do you think he's trying to make a point here? I do. The point is that if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. We're not here to serve men in the sense of serving men's ideas and designs. We are here to serve the living God first and foremost, and his Son, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is in the power of the Holy Spirit that we have his wisdom, his understanding, his grace to know the difference and to know the differences and to be able to make distinctions of the spirits. That's why the gift of discerning of spirits is mentioned and is needed by every believer in Jesus Christ today. Every believer needs to be discerning because there is so much weirdness in the church today. It is weird. But not if you stay in God's word. Amen.